Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Hi, I'm your host, Kim Bilotto. Today, my co-host is out on the road, Alvin Bailey, so he won't be able to join us. But we do happen to have our associate editor of Shell Oil and Gas Business Magazine with us today, David Blackman, who is going to help me uh, host the show today. We've got a lot to talk about, David. Would you not agree with the latest issue of Shell Oil and Gas Business Magazine out? So, David, tell us a little bit about what's going on in this latest issue. Well, I mean, the great, the best part of it, of course, in my view, since I wrote it, is the cover on Wayne Wayne Christian, the railroad commissioner here in the state of Texas. Um, but there's a lot of other really good content in the magazine this month, as always. Uh, and that's that's why I'm always so excited to be a part of this magazine, is that there is just always such a variety uh, of content in the magazine from policy to what's going on in the business, what's going on in the community. Um, and, you know, past issues, we've had CEOs uh, for the cover story this time. It's, it's our new statewide elected official. And Wayne, uh, I will say this about Wayne. He was one of the most fascinating interviews uh, I've ever done. And, and <laughs> why do you background. say that? His, oh, because he was a past elected official, correct? Uh, correct. But in another and, capacity. And, right. He was... Uh, he was a uh, member of the, the House of Representatives for 14 years uh, in two different uh, periods of time, you know, representing his district out in East Texas. But this is the first time he served in a statewide office. Um, and I've known Wayne for, for quite a number of years uh, in my past life as a lobbyist. I dealt with him quite a bit uh, when he was in the legislature. But well, I didn't know about his background uh, as a gospel singer. Uh, I didn't know anything about his upbringing there in East Texas and how he met his wife and, you know, and how he's raised his family and how proud he is of all that. And uh, and then, of course, we also talked about the, the business that he runs as financial planner and how he's had to keep that going um, while serving in a full-time position as statewide elected official. Uh, he had to have a backup plan. <laughs> turned around, turned out his backup plan was his daughter. And uh She's apparently doing a tremendous job uh, running the business for him while he's serving in this office. So, anyway, it's it's, it's a really neat story about a, about a really good guy who's, uh, I think, going to be an outstanding commissioner. Well, you know, David, he really is an amazing commissioner, and part of the reason why we like to do a cover on a newly elected commissioners because we, you know, obviously being a Texas Railroad Commissioner, which there are three is a very important job here in Texas. And it is important that the citizens of Texas understand uh, who's representing them, who got elected, uh, because this agency is so important. And Commissioner Christian is is a very important role model here for for the Texas oil and gas. And so I wanted uh, for our readers to uh, get to know him a little bit better. You did an excellent job of bringing his story out like you always do. And so I do encourage uh, our listeners to go uh, to shellmag.com and they can just flip through the digital issue and get a little bit familiar. But, uh, you know, like you said, Commissioner Christian is definitely no stranger to uh, 
Austin and uh, serving as an elected official. And I, I believe he will do amazing things in his six years here at the commissioner's office. But David, I also wanted to switch gears a little bit and cover a little bit about an article that we covered on President Trump as well. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, that article in which we kind of are uh, leading to the point that uh, Trump is doing what he said he was going to do for the energy sector. So tell me a little bit about that story. Yeah, um, you know, and it's it's true. Uh, the president has uh, really had a strong focus on energy and um, really focused on it early on. Frankly, the third day uh, he was in office, he issued that executive order on the to restart the Dakota Access and Keystone XL pipelines. And Dakota Access is up and running and flowing oil now out of the Bakken shale, and Keystone is well on its way to, to being completed or getting the final approvals in place so that it can begin that, that last leg of construction up north. Um, and he's done a lot of other things uh, just in terms of, of uh, reversing some you know, some of the last-minute flurry of regulations that came out of the Obama administration that were just uh, shoved through the system in a very haphazard and disorderly way. And uh, Congress reversed some of those through the through the Congressional Rule Act, uh, Review Act, but the, the president also took action to uh, reverse some of those through executive orders uh, and administrative actions. Um, and so it's just been um, a real change, frankly. I'm, I'm doing a presentation next month, and, and the theme of it is that the sea change um, that the Trump administration has brought to federal energy policy compared to what we've had over the last eight years, and it, it's just, it's night and day, frankly, and uh, I think everyone in the oil and gas industry is certainly very relieved. You know, David, we've had a couple, in, in this issue, there were a lot of great articles uh, I do. I can't get to all of them, unfortunately. Uh, that's why I'm encouraging our listeners to go to shellmag.com. But I do want to hit on a few more. One of the writers, Kelly Moore, um, was writing an article as well. Cover that. Tell me a little bit about that article. Yeah, Kelly is just a, just such a great writer. I'm so happy we've got her writing for our magazine. She's one of the most talented writers I've ever come across. She, she did a piece for us uh, in this current issue that is titled A Brief History of the Special Counsel Statute and its abuses. And uh, she goes through the history of special counsels of the past, um, going all the way back to the Reagan administration and Lawrence Walsh's appointment to look into the whole Iran-Contra thing, which that investigation went on for six years. Um, Then you had Ken Starr and the Clinton administration uh, looking into the whole Monica Lewinsky mess and all that, he went all, He he was in business for four or five years, and and Patrick Fitzgerald uh, in the second Bush presidency was, you know, his his investigation went on for four or five years, and and none of these. I think the biggest point about all this that readers will find fascinating is you have these broad ranging investigations that go on for years and years, and you never end up with any convictions that are that are any way related to the supposed original point of the investigation. And I just think it's a fascinating read and a really good recounting of the history of that law. So I I would agree because it kind of does help go back through the history to see what's basically happening right now. Uh, John Tatera, the uh, executive director for Texas Alliance of Energy Producers as well, uh, sent in some content this issue, and and that's an amazing story too. Tell me a little bit about what uh, John Tatera had to say. 
yeah, John's just been doing spectacular work this year, just in terms of working with Congress. He's working with members of Congress. He's working with people in the Trump administration to uh, encourage uh, both the EPA and, and other uh, Department of Energy as well, uh, agencies in the federal government to delegate more authority to the state agencies. And because in reality, the people who are going to be able, best able to regulate the environment and the energy industry are people who are close to where the action is, and those are state regulators. Federal regulators uh, in Washington, D.C. have a long and terrible history of turning out really bad poorly constructed regulations. Exactly. And it, yeah, and so John has just done some fantastic work through a uh, – a group of, uh, and it's not just the energy industry, but but other business interests in a group that they're calling FRED, the Federal Regulatory Energy Delegation, um, and, and is, is having great results. And so that article kind of lays all that out. I couldn't agree with you more. This is probably one of the best uh, content-written shell magazines that really matters right now with where we are in our uh, in the politics world and the energy world. And I do also want to encourage, you know, we just had a recent economic impact of the Eagle Forge shell that we don't have time to cover, but I would encourage anyone who's interested in the economic development uh, to go to Shell Magazine. It's kind of covered in there. Um, you can get all the latest research. It came out of uh, the University of Texas at San Antonio. We do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Managers, bosses, supervisors, hey, flu season is here. Don't let the flu bug bite your employees. Banish sick days and keep your workforce strong, healthy, and productive with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. Trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 866-334-2485. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong serving independents, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at 
S-A-N-D-I-S at TexasAlliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association who is the unified voice for the energy industry's service, supply, and manufacturing organizations advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today our guest is Commissioner Wayne Christian, who is the newest elected Texas Railroad Commissioner. Commissioner Christian, welcome to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. Honored to be with you. It's a it's really a thrill to be able to speak for the industry in the state of Texas that I think is driving the United States right now. So it's an exciting time to be visiting with you. Well, you know, one of the things that we love to do on In the Oil Patch Radio Show is really highlight some of the what we perceive to be the movers and shakers in the oil and gas sector. And, of course, nothing happens in oil and gas without uh, the Texas Railroad Commission here in Texas. You guys have been around for uh, a very long time, uh, 100 years or so, and um, you definitely, our Texas Railroad Commission is the model for uh, how countries look at how is Texas regulating the oil and gas. So we sure do thank you and uh, Commissioner Craddock and Commissioner Sinton for all the hard work that you guys do on behalf of the the uh, uh, people of Texas, as well as uh, regulating the oil and gas and keeping everybody safe and, and making sure that everything is moving along. Um, I want to uh, discuss... Let me, let me say something. Sure. I appreciate that tremendously. But I want to make sure everybody realizes that the Railroad Commission is not just we three commissioners who are elected and have the honor of having our picture on the wall. Uh, the Railroad Commission of Texas is right now currently about 700 of your friends and neighbors and folk in Austin and all over this state that have worked for decades, and some of them uh, could get more money in the industry uh, but chose to almost make it public service and uh, serve out there in the fields of Texas and make sure that the Railroad Commission of Texas, under the quotes of David Blackman, one of your authors in your magazine, is beyond doubt uh, the most respected and important regulatory body on oil and gas on planet Earth. And it's not just the three commissioners that have done that. It's the good, hardworking folks across the state. That's the Railroad Commission. That's a very, very good point. And so um, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, one of the great things that we wanted to do at Shell Magazine, which is really what really promotes and funds, along with some of our partners, this show in particular is you were actually on the cover of this issue currently out right now. And some of the reasons why the editorial team and Shell Magazine felt the importance of having you on the cover is because you are the newest elected commissioner that will be in office for the next six years and we feel it's important to let our our readers uh, and the community understand a little bit about who you are so I want to kind of go into uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into wanting to run uh, and your past I know there's a lot there but I want to unpack quickly just a little bit about how you got to where uh, you are now a commissioner well let let me me quickly say it's uh 
I think my interest in oil and gas started maybe, uh, some people are not familiar from the top down, I, I like to say from the bottom up. My dad ran the Enco station at that time in Tenney Hall, Texas, population 1,097. And he got that job, uh, the opportunity to uh, run that and le- rent that building. And I'm, I can remember the day my dad was able to pay all of his bills and looked up at me and said, for the first time, Wayne, I can write checks for all of these bills. And it gave me and my mom a chance to work together as a family and my dad. And it gave me uh, the first college education in our family, all because of uh, oil, gas, and the industry. And it was from the bottom up that I appreciate. And why I'm concerned a lot of my responsibilities for those workers across the state that during this downturn have been unemployed. And I want to get those folks back to work as quickly as possible. I was educated in a little school there in Tenney Hall, population 1,097. I went to Stephen F. Austin. Uh, in Nacogdoches, which is state school there. Uh, for a time, I, uh, in college, we had a little music group. It was a country music group and uh, a country gospel group, and we traveled across the country. We were quite fortunate. We got a recording contract out of Nashville, made some exciting records up there, were Grammy nominees, and had, had the blast of being able to travel across the country as a young man and, and be a performer. But finally figured out you couldn't make a good living doing that at that time, uh, when I married and started having children, I, I, I understood that was going to be a very risky life to have. And so I, I took that and uh, went back to work as a banker and um, stayed there for about 15 years. And then for the past 30 years, I've had my financial services business. So I went into the legislature 20 years ago as a financial services guy, as an independent person, because the legislature get the big dollars of $600 a month. So that's a citizen legislature. And uh, I was the first Republican since Reconstruction for uh, Northeast Texas. My district was right along rural Texas, right along Toledo Bend, from Beaumont, Texas, north to about Carthage, Texas, those counties along Toledo Bend. Nacogdoches was the only university, so it's rural Texas. And uh, served uh, on the Energy Committee, uh, uh, starting with Ron Lewis back uh, for several sessions, and then also served on uh, regulated industries. So I've, I've supervised the, the Railroad Commission for almost 15, 14 years that I served in the Texas legislature. And uh, now I'm really excited about being in a position of the Railroad Commission because it's, it's very exciting to have one industry that you can focus on. You don't have to be the jack of all trades and the master of none. I'm able to now concentrate energies into learning the oil and gas industry, what's best for it in Texas. And uh, it was exciting to run statewide. And, uh, of course, uh, there was a lot that happened during the session. But that's kind of a history of where I came from and being involved in the Haynesville Shell in deep east Texas. And uh, and now we're sitting, uh, I think, with great opportunities ahead. And I hope to be able to fight that fight like a challenge. Well, obviously looking at your life and it kind of seems like you have been moving towards this moment to being what you are right now as a as a railroad commissioner. It's been in the works for 20 years. When we get back from break, I want to get into the we just finished a regular session. Now we're in extended session and I want to cover some of the wins and losses pertaining to the oil and gas sector. You are listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back. Hey, oil and gas friends, Alvin Bailey here. You know, every week, Kim and I work really hard to bring you up to speed with what's going on out here in the Texas oil patch. I also want to take just a minute to talk to you about your fleet needs. Whether you have one truck or 1,000 trucks in your fleet, I can help you. 
Call me when you have a minute and let's talk trucks. Did you know that the Kalig Auto Group offers pickup and delivery right from our service departments? And I'll bring the dealership right to your desk. You don't need to drop what you're doing and come waste hours and hours of your valuable time haggling over pennies. I have a very transparent process with a simple pricing formula that ensures you're always going to get a very competitive price and the very best service available in the industry. So call me today, area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656, and let's talk. The Kalig Auto Group has Ford and Ram trucks for your heavy-duty needs. We also carry Mazda, Subaru, Volkswagen, Jeep, even Lincoln and Lexus for your luxury needs, and we have an Audi store coming soon. So whether you need work trucks for your day-to-day -day business or a new Lincoln or Lexus for you personally, call me. My cell number is 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656. Or you can always email me a Bailey at KaligAuto.com. That's A Bailey, B A I L E Y, at Kalig, K A H L I G, Auto, A U T O.com. I look forward to seeing you down the road. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Commissioner Christian, the newest Texas Railroad Commissioner. Uh, Commissioner Christian, before the break, we were talking a little bit about what led you up to being where you are right now, a commissioner. But I want to just switch gears a little bit and, and talk a little bit about, you know, we're, we, we just came off of the regular session and Governor Abbott, extended session but i want to talk a little bit about what happened this past session pertaining to the texas railroad commission you guys were dealing with some pretty interesting and tough things so tell me what uh what y'all received what you got in the way of the texas legislators um are there areas you still need to work on the next session uh so, so there were some big winners tell us about the the sunset well bill. of course well of course the uh first thing that we hit that everybody was i think watching very closely was sunset we had been uh, past due, this is our third session to go into with Sunset, which happens supposedly once every 12 years to review the need to keep an organization going. And so this is my first term. And I, I joke with Ryan and uh, Christy, the other two commissioners, and I say, well, how many times did it take you all to settle Sunset? You know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I did it in one. How many times did it take you? So that's a joke. Them. They did a great job, worked hard, and I want to commend uh, – the chairman, Larry Gonzalez, of the Sunset Committee, because uh, Larry was my first chief of staff when I first entered the legislature back in 1997. And so I knew Larry well, and he did a great thing for us. He told uh, the folks in the uh, committee that they could not add their pet projects as amendments to the Sunset Bill. He wanted it clean. And so I commend Chairman Gonzalez for helping us and other commissioners and our chief of staff at the Railroad Commission uh, Kim, they did a great job in getting Sunset passed. That was great because certainty is needed in the market for the industry. If you don't have certainty, medium from the financial services industry, I understand that uncertainty uh, regresses business investment, and we needed the industry certain, and, and Sunset settled. So we got that settled. Number two, agency in the state was told we are going to have to cut budget by 10%. That was quite frightening to the Railroad Commission because even during the downturn, we are currently losing experience from now because our budget of pay scale is below that, not just a free market industry, but was lower for experienced personnel. They could move to the 
ag department or to the PUC or TxDOT and get higher pay than they were at the Railroad Commission. We were needing uh, several million dollars just to put us on an even kill with other industries. So I went to the chief accountant there, uh, Mr. Chang, uh, Wei, Wei Chang, and he's the head accountant at the Railroad Commission. And I said, Wei, I'm an old banker. I said, what's the investment? I know what for public education, transportation, law enforcement, that's a cost to the legislature. But the Railroad Commission has got to reflect a positive return. So Wei went back and calculated. He came back to me and came back with, I think, the astounding figure that for every dollar during the downturn that the legislature has invested in the Railroad Commission, the state returned $51.20. And so I took that figure and went and visited with over 70 of my former friends uh, in the House and Senate uh, that I'd served with and with the, the lieutenant governor's financial director. Uh, and uh, we wound up, when it was all said and done, I, I kept kind of the general message was, and, and this is not the correct term to put it, but in East Texas talk is uh, we didn't need to kill the goose that was laying the golden egg. Oil, gas, and coal is one-third of the jobs in our state, it, and Texas, uh, directly or indirectly, and uh, it is what's made Texas prosper in times across the nation when the budget and growth has been negative. So oil and gas and coal is very – and the entire petroleum industry is very important in Texas. We were able, after we fought the battle, and, of course, the other commissioners, our executive director, all fought with it. But I enjoyed going and putting that 50-to-1 return on the investment from the state to all the committees, and especially to Glenn Hager, who was a friend of mine in the legislature, is our comptroller. And I said, Glenn, if our buds over in the legislature don't give us the money on a 50-to-1 return, let's start a public equity fund that the public can buy from the Railroad Commission, and we'll offer a 25-to-1 return and still make a profit on the deal for the taxpayers of Texas. So that was kind of a joke I was running with Glenn. And uh, But anyhow, we wound up, instead of a 10% decrease, a 45% increase in our budget with the Railroad Commission. They were very grateful for from the legislature. They had the wisdom to see uh, what was coming in oil and gas and how we needed the permitting process, the computer systems updated. And uh, I was honored to be a part of that fight, and that victory, I think, was uh, was great for the industry in Texas. You know, um, I do want to get into, when we get back, some more of the situations that are happening on a nationwide level. But it's really important that, you know, this show is is really the number one show on Sunday nights in Houston market for the reason that, you know, Texans get how important oil and gas is to their jobs and to the overall economy. And um, you having you on the show to help everybody understand how important it is that we have the regulatory body uh, really strong and uh, and informed on what they need to do to help the state collect as much resources as they can is vital, is vital to Texas and our overall economy for the state of Texas. Yes, it is. But you're, you're number one in Houston because you'll have such a great host and hostess. Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet, Commissioner Christian. Uh, you are listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. We will be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that will keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Commissioner Christian of the Texas Railroad Commission, um, sir, before the break, we were talking a little bit about Texas politics, and I uh, want to switch gears a little bit and discuss, uh, you know, there's so much talk right now in the media, mainstream media, of course, uh, President Trump, uh, Scott Pruitt with the EPA, uh, uh, 
Governor Perry or past Governor Perry with uh, being uh, Secretary of Energy. There's just so much coming out of Texas and so much coming out at a federal level. And so I want to talk a little bit about a lot of things are changing in oil and gas on the world market, a lot. Um, OPEC, every time you turn around, they're trying to figure out how to stabilize the oil markets. What is your take on the uh, entrance that the United States has made on exporting of, uh, of crude oil, which of course that ban was lifted not too long ago. How do you think we're doing in the way of our exporting in on a world stage? We, we literally are exporting as quickly as possible. We're developing as quickly as possible new means of exporting, especially the hot thing right now is liquefied natural gas. Uh, Corpus Christi is gearing up for the super tanker. They're expanding that port. Uh, Louisiana is really kind of ahead of us now, and darn it, they're using Texas gas, and I'm kind of upset about that because we pipe it across the state line. They've got some ports there that are getting it out. So we're trying to expand. We have three ports in Texas now as quickly as possible worldwide with the European Union coming apart as such, uh, partially. Uh, and also now that we're able to export coal, uh, quite frankly, the opening of those coal, uh, coal mines up northeast and potentially from Texas, coal is an export to China and to other countries across the world now. The first shipment of crude oil left a Texas port January of 2016, and we are now increasing that exporting of crude oil as quickly as possible. Natural gas, of course, we're liquefied petroleum. Britain and Germany and, and Europe and a lot of the folks over there would much rather buy from the United States their liquefied natural gas and oil than they would from Russia or Saudi Arabia. And quite frankly, I think one of the kind of underlying themes that Mr. Trump is not getting credit for is they keep saying, oh, this deal with Russia is just all over the media. Well, quite frankly, he's kind of smiling with Putin because he's he has declared not energy independence, not he has declared he wants energy dominance. And that is the biggest threat almost of a, of a military attack against Russia economically because that's what they depend on is their gas they're selling. And so now all of a sudden Mr. Trump is saying, turn it loose, guys. $50 trillion, Catherine Hornet-White and Stephen Moore uh, have in their book calling Fueling Freedom, is the minimal value of the oil and gas under public lands. And, of course, Donald Trump has turned our interior secretary. And, by the way, the new assistant uh, interior secretary will be Miss Susan Collins. I heard. Congratulations. Uh, a good Texan again mm -hmm. in a good position. And my former staff member, Luke Bullock, has just been hired with them at the Interior Department. So I have some friends. We have some friends from Texas there. And they'll be handling that nationwide expansion. Uh, you have Rick Perry that came down uh, about two months ago, the CO2 problem that they've been claiming is going to destroy the world, Nobel laureate Al Gore claims. Um, we all of a sudden developed a a factory down there in Houston that will take from the coal mine, coal factory there, put the CO2 in a pipeline, send it to an oil and gas field, e eject it, and it increases the production of oil and gas by 14 times its normal and 90% loss of CO2. So darn it, what are those environmental extremists going to claim now? We've technology. Anyhow, it's internationally, I mean, nationally, you have that. You have Tillerson, of course, that's a secretary of state that's going to negotiate contracts as much as anybody. So I just can't be excited enough for the potential opportunity. Third, another factor a lot of people don't know is the entire country of Mexico. And by the way, Mexico and Canada are our number one and two receivers of our export of, of from Texas. And uh, Mexico has just signed a contract to buy all the natural gas we possibly can pipe in 
to completely redo their entire electric grid from coal to natural gas. And literally the company told me that has the pipeline that they literally think they can buy almost all the natural gas we can produce in the state of Texas. And of course, that was prior to the Energy Department's announcement that the Midland, the Midland field was the new world's largest discovery of oil and gas. So uh, we probably have some left over now to export to Europe. So I see, of course, as a financial guy, I see you, we have a lot of product now, and the, the, the supply is there, but you've got to create the demand for the price to go up and stabilize. Of course, that's why I keep mentioning all these opportunities, is we have the supply that God has given us that's just unbelievably increasing, and uh, I'm excited about having an administration in Washington we in Texas can work with uh, to increase the demand worldwide and where our oil and gas is sold. Well, I want to ask you a question on, okay, so we have an over, um, we have an overabundance of all these different resources on the market, which is, of course, driving down the price. But how much of that, uh, Wayne, do you think is involved with um, the OPEC situation? I mean, how much is, is this laid in their lap because they have said they were going to cut prices and then I think they were there were some statistics kind of reflecting that maybe that wasn't necessarily happening how how involved are they in this situation or are they possibly not that important like they used to be Um, I'm not quite sure where to where OPEC lines up in this whole situation with our resources Wall Street Journal and journalist Houston Chronicle through their energy magazine uh, had an article, I think, that really reflects it, is that OPEC is no longer in control. OPEC tries and has been controlling the price of oil for a decade or so or more uh, since uh, we in the United States started using more than we were producing. And OPEC, of course, designed their organization around the Texas Railroad Commission. Commissioner Kent Hance went over there and helped them uh, know how to do it. They asked Texas uh, because we were the example of the Railroad Commission. But frankly, the reason, what the article said is that no longer does OPEC control the price of oil because if it goes one direction, Texas will turn on a few more pumps and jacks and uh, produce enough oil to kind of balance out what they're trying to do. So literally, Texas has now taken control of oil prices, uh, no longer OPEC. So we have taken authority away. So Texas is more or less the lead producer now in how no doubt. prices are and set on a world market. Let me tell you, and let me tell you something. I went to, the governor appointed me on the IOGCC, which is the oldest interstate compact for oil and gas in the nation, formed more than 80 years ago, and it serves 37 states that produce oil and gas. Whenever I was there uh, at the IOGCC, representing Texas and our governor, uh, they came up with the map of all 37 states. It was an Excel spreadsheet. Texas in production is so far ahead of every other state that the line of the Excel spreadsheet had to be on a separate paper from all the other states. That is a literal truth. We are it is ahead astounding of the <laughs> what the good Lord's given us uh, in, in our uh, productions. Well, it certainly is very interesting times here in Texas and the United States. Uh, Commissioner Christian, we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we will be right back. Oil Field Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oil Field Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. 
Here's the number, so write it down. Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Commissioner Wayne Christian of the Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, Wayne, before the break, we were discussing a lot of the world topics on energy and supply and demand. But I want to switch gears because there's something a little bit more interesting, but also very serious to the oil and gas industry, and that is the environmentalists. There's a lot of discussion coming from a lot of different green groups. They're obviously very, very upset with President Trump and a lot of the new policies that he's uh, implementing, as well as our new march on not energy independence, but energy dominance. What do you say about what's going on uh, with all of these environmental groups? Well, quite frankly, I think it's uh, – I commend the environmental extremist groups because they have won thus far in the victory. And I think a large part of it is because we have not fought the battle. It's been somewhat like political correctness. It's, we sometimes think it's not worth getting in the fight because they've convinced the public. Our university professors and many of our institutions have ingrained the – the uh, current generation to believe that we in oil and gas and coal are harmful to the environment. And quite frankly, if you go back 100 years and you look at life where lifespan was uh, 45 years of age, people had to work in agriculture seven days a week. Uh, People were dying. It was not unusual for one-third of the children to die before age 10. Uh, We were dying from starvation, from heat strokes, from uh, all these things, and now we have solved that. Now we lifespan is 75. We've cured diseases. People no longer starve to death because of irrigation, transportation, and we've been the winners. Life is better. The air is cleaner, and the water is cleaner in the United States than anywhere on planet Earth. And we've got to get out and start fighting that battle. And I'm afraid we haven't been doing that. And I want to lead that charge. Let me give you another thing that just your tax dollars killing me. You, you know that the, the largest recipient of tax dollars in the history of the United States, the person who's received the most, I call it government welfare dollars for their business of any human in history, is a gentleman called Elon Musk. And for every Tesla automobile, number one, he's received over $5 billion from the taxpayer. I tell people my dad's first, the first car I had was a 1958 four-door Fairlane six-cylinder car in Tenneyhaw, Texas. And if I had $5 billion, I bet I could have made that thing run on batteries. But more importantly, for every car Tesla sells, 7,500 tax credit comes from the federal government and 2,500 from the state of Texas and other states. That's $10,000 the taxpayer pays for everybody that buys one of Mr. Musk's Tesla cars. Fact. A couple of months ago, there was a foreign country. I just saw the, uh, in Houston Chronicles Energy uh, stopped giving tax credit to Teslas. Their sales in that country went to zero. So if you have I – don't, I don't know the last time that uh, uh, we gave $10,000 that benefited the oil and gas industry in America, but we are definitely taxed uh, by the taxpayers 10000 per car. And something shocking to me, Volvo just announced – that they are going next year to produce in 2018 only electric cars. It's made uh, across in, uh, I think, Denmark or uh, somewhere, but it's owned totally by a company in red China. Now, understand that means we taxpayers starting next year are going to be paying $10,000 per car for every car red China sends the United States that's got Volvo on it. There is a significant problem, I think, that needs fault, and I want to be able to lead the charge with this current administration in Washington, I believe, that can be convinced and on our side. 
You know, you bring up some really good points that you rarely ever hear, and that's, you know, these environmentalists have done such a great job of being funded to publicly go out and educate a whole bunch of uninformed people to telling them their side of the story, which is, which is not necessarily accurate or truthful. But I'll give you an example. You know, I was listening uh, to uh, one of the other talk show hosts, and they were covering uh, Elon Musk and his cars, and they were discussing how the battery that's within that car, the, the resources and the energy that it takes to make that battery is the equivalent of us filling up our car 800 times. Not only that, but understand they talk about clean energy. There is nothing, there's few things less clean than clean energy from windmills and solar batteries. Uh, understand only one country on planet Earth will allow the precious rare metals. That's a very important term. Rare metals are required for windmills and for batteries and solar panels. And those only China will allow it because it is the most uh, destructive uh, environmental thing you can possibly have. Check the articles on that. Uh, literally, it it, it, redu- it does for every ton they take of those rare earth metals, it reduces one ton of radioactivity in the atmosphere. The people where they're getting that rare earth metals in China, the farmlands are dead. People have white hair. Their teeth are falling out, dying of cancer. It is absolutely destructive. No other nation on earth allows it. The one thing that the greenies have never considered is human technology. All their models are based on the past, not considering the future. Understand the Paris Treaty, I think, is a great example. We were going to invest the world 73, I believe it was, trillion dollars to get the temperature down in the next several decades by 1.7 degrees. Now, I don't know about you, but if the weatherman can't tell me for sure whether it's going to rain tomorrow or sunshine tomorrow, how in the heck are they going to tell us 40 years from now that they're guaranteeing 1.7 degrees? And number two, who cares if it goes up or down 1.7 degrees? Right. Well, so we, it's, we've done plenty of shows on the Paris uh, Climate Accord, and all the shows where all the experts were agreeing this was just going to be a big wealth grab, and that's all it was. And transferring uh, jobs and money to other countries in which they were not going to have to be held accountable till 2035. So we're familiar with that, our listeners. Well, I'm visiting with GCC again, the national organization, which has not discussed this uh, government-driven false science of environmentalism. And we need to balance it because what we all want to do in the industry and the Railroad Commission, do what is right. Free markets rule. When it gets to where batteries can do better or solar panels, I'm all for it. But this point, they're not. And we're subsidizing it with tax dollars, and people are talking about how many jobs created. Well, for goodness sake, the government was paying for it. We can hire lots of people. Another big need we need in Texas that I have a special project in my heart is to create training for new jobs that we're going to need during this upturn. Every president, every organization I've talked with says we're short of jobs and especially experienced personnel. But we need to train our young people to work in the industry for these two new refineries, the new plastics plant we're going to have down in Corpus, all the pipelines, and exploding industry does not have enough employees. And I'm working with a four-year university and a uh, community college to develop a pilot program of how we train 
of the young people for these coming industries because this we need to get the workforce there and ready that we're going to see, I think, in the next four or five years as this industry climbs back up and these new uh, factories open up. Well, Commissioner Christian, great as always to have you on the show. A lot of discussion on a lot of different topics. Really enjoyed it. We need to have you back on the show so we can continue to talk about the environmentalist and what's happening in the way of oil and gas. Thank you once again for being a guest on the show today. Great honor to be with you, and it's always a privilege. Well, that's all the time we have for this show. Be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show, or follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That's going to wrap up another great show. We look forward to seeing you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.